Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Convergent Church. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our Joy Complete series, walking through the book of 1 John together. And today, we're going to be looking at uh, the second chapter of the book of 1 John, and we're going to be reading uh, verses 3 through 6. And the book of 1 John says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Do you ever struggle to know if you know something? Like, intellectually, you believe you understand a concept, but when you try to put it down on paper or explain it to somebody else, you you realize you know, maybe you could use a little bit of a refresher. I can remember many times in college when I would be preparing for a test or or getting ready to write an essay, I would review over and over again what I needed to know. And, And even in the act of sermon preparation, I find myself going back and reviewing some of the most elementary aspects of the Christian faith in order that when I come up and stand up here, I, I wouldn't be misrepresenting who God is or what he said or what he requires of us. And my friends, I want to tell you this morning that the Christian life is one of steady review and testing. And on that test that is the Christian life, one of the most common questions people may ask is whether or not they really know God. And if they do know God, how well or, or in what ways? You know, they might ask questions like, what is my proximity to my Creator, and how do I rightly gauge that proximity? Well, we can rest easy today because John gives us a litmus test to gauge whether or not we actually know God. Now, a litmus test is a test in which one factor changes the entire outcome of the test. It's, it's a test in which the results, the pass or fail grade of the test hinges upon a single factor. And John's litmus test is simple. He says, and by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, knowing God, particularly Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate, which we've read of earlier in John's letters, is not merely a matter of intellectual assent. It's knowing Jesus is not simply a saying yes of the mind or that yes, Jesus is God, or yes, Jesus is Savior. It's not a saying yes of the lips either. Knowing Jesus does not come from canned prayers or raised hands, walking aisles, or kneeling at altars, and it doesn't come from seminary degrees or dusty diplomas in offices either. And John in this portion of his letter is again refuting the Gnostic thought that we have brought up previously in his letter. He's refuting the idea that knowing God, or the the God the Gnostics claim is nigh unknowable by only a few, it doesn't come from intellectual gymnastics. See, the Gnostics believe that secret knowledge brought them into a relationship with this, this unknowable God. But knowing God does not come from being able to espouse the highest level of theological thought. And, and I have often looked at my own son, Israel, and, and thought when I've seen the way he acts and the way he loves, 
that this child knows more of God than I do. And that's not to say that what I know of God isn't profitable. It's simply to say that what I know is in a strictly intellectual sense is not essential to know God. Now, I'm not giving anyone any warrant to throw out the intellect or simply chaste experience, but knowing God does not come from mysterious and personal revelations from God spoken to us in the dead of night any more than it does years of rigorous study. I know very intelligent men whom I have very serious doubts as to whether they know God at all. And I'm not speaking about some God I've made up in my own mind. I'm, I'm talking about the awe-inspiring, multifaceted God with myriad glories whose name is Jesus Christ. See, we don't have to know a lot to know God. And the test of whether or not we know God and what we know of God primarily hinges upon this single factor. Do we do what he says we should? And are we committed to being what he says we should be? See, this is a test of assurance. It's a, it's a matter of confidence. Are we convinced that we know that we know our God, that we know our Lord, our Savior? Do we, do we really know Jesus? And here where John says we are to keep his commandments and that it is the measure of our knowledge of God, I know where my mind immediately goes. I think, and maybe you do too, that the idea of keeping God's commands is to simply obey and fulfill the commands of the law and to do so perfectly and unerringly. But what John is saying here goes far beyond mere observation of God's law John is speaking of the way in which we view God's commands as well, as how set we are on keeping them. It, it isn't uncommon for us who know God to view God's commands as burdensome, to view them as simply a list of do's and don'ts which suck all the joy and fun out of life, and we treat God as this big sourpuss in the sky who wants nothing more than for his people to live rigid, bland, mundane and carefully regulated lives, but nothing could be further than the truth. The concept of keeping God's commands that John speaks of here is more akin to guarding or treasuring or protecting or holding on to these commands. It's not merely this rote observation, but observance with a purpose. It's, it's doing something because of something. For Christians, we do not only strive to keep God's commands because we know it to be good. We strive to keep God's commands because we understand that they reveal something about our God. And for those created and recreated through Christ as image bearers of God, God's commands now reveal to us God's very character. God's commands are our mirror to us and we look in them and we see ourselves. They've been given to us so that we would see God revealed and in the glory and the light that is Him, we would see ourselves and, and our own darkness would be revealed. See, God's commands were given because God, because God had wanted our good. He didn't want to just suck all the fun out of life or constrain us so deeply that we would lack any joy. On the contrary, God provided them for us that 
we would enjoy living in the light of fellowship with him and fellowship with others. You know, I've said it, I've said it again, from nearly cover to cover, the Bible is about our common problem. The Bible is about our sin and our our inability and refusal to do as God says we should and be what God says we should be. And because we don't do that, it bars us from experiencing the fellowship with God that, that we all so deeply need. My friends, we cannot work to know God. No amount of commandment keeping or law observing can bring us into fellowship with God. Because in order to do so, we would need to do so perfectly. And John has made it clear earlier in his letter that it's not possible for us. That we all sin. Every single one of us has a darkness inside of us. And thus, in in light of that, we see the greater story of Scripture. Because from cover to cover, we find our common solution as well. We find a story about a man who kept God's law for us when we could not. And and as Dan preached last week, this man made propitiation for us. He became our advocate. He took on God's wrath. And now he stands as a testimony for all who believe in him that we are forgiven, that we are loved, and that we are saved. This man's name was Jesus. And he took God's fierce wrath and anger towards sinners and he turned it on himself. And he turned God's fierce wrath towards us into favor, which is an active delight in us, even in the midst of our current failings to do and be what God requires Jesus made a way for you and me to live in fellowship with him and with the Father and with the Spirit and with one another. And now God delights in us as his children. When we look at God's commands, we must realize the weight of these commands is purposeful. God's commands constrain us so that we would flee from the things that are destructive, flee from our sin, and cling to what is best. No, not just cling to what is best, but cling to who is best. God's commands weigh heavy upon us so that we would seek relief for their weight. God's commands were not given so you and I could rise to the occasion and and overcome and keep them perfectly, but that we would look to the one who overcame for us and kept them perfectly, Jesus. We treasure and guard and keep God's commands because we ultimately treasure the person who fulfilled them for us, Jesus the person who redeemed us, the person who saved us. This man, Jesus, who says his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and Jesus now requires of us that on our journey to be and do what he says we should be, that we don't attempt to keep God's law in our own strength or in our own ability to do so, but in faith trusting that Jesus paid for every sin and every failing and that Jesus provides strength, trusting that Jesus is the source of faith and that in our wrestlings to be and do as he wants us to be, that he is both our advocate and the catalyst for our success. 
He atoned for us when we fail. And he pushes us on to greater obedience that we may have more of him. God deeply and truly desires to give us more of himself. And Christ is God's assurance that God wants us to know him and to love him. Let's move on to to verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Do you struggle with knowing God? Do you struggle with keeping God's commands? Do you struggle with knowing whether or not you really know God? Well, I want you to be of good cheer because you sit in a room with others just like you. So you come from a long line of saints who are also sinners. And your experience as a sinner, your experience in your failures, it's not unique. You're not isolated from those around you by your struggles or sins or failures in keeping God's commands. You're not alone. We all struggle to know God. We all struggle to love God. And yet God has said that knowing him and loving him are one. And that our love for him is so closely tied to our obedience to his commands. And if this is so, and we are constantly failing and struggling to do what he said to do, even on this side of salvation, what then can we do? Can we even say that we love him if we do not obey him totally? If we're constantly failing and falling and tripping over the sin that so easily ensnares us? Can we claim to truly love God? Can we claim to love the Savior who said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I would argue that yes, we can. And I want to take a look at a rather long passage of Scripture written by the Apostle Paul. This is Romans 7, 15 through 25. And this is the Apostle Paul here. A man so close to God's heart, so deeply entrenched with love for God that that he gave up his entire life to pursue God, to pursue God's mission of reclamation for the world. This was a man who was sold out for Jesus by all accounts. and, And he wrote this in the book of Romans. He said this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. My friends, we cannot excuse our sin, but I will tell you this, we are all in good company because the true question of knowing God does not come from our ability to keep God's law, but it comes from our desire, our fervent desire to keep God's law and to repent when we fail to do so. And so I want to ask you the question, what is the inclination of your heart and and of your spirit, of your inner person? Is there a desire in you to keep God's law and to run to Jesus when you fail? What is in your heart? And you'll say to me, Jameson, my my heart is deceitfully wicked. It's broken and I can't trust it. And, And I would completely agree with you. But the light of Christ that is in you wages war with the darkness in you moment by moment. So I would not in any way, shape, or form tell you to trust your heart, but I would tell you to trust the light of Christ inside you. As you ask yourself, what actions are you willing to take to progressively grow in knowing and loving Christ? See, Christ cemented his love for you by dying on a cross, and and he cements his love for you as he tarried with you in the midst of your failures. Christ is committed to loving you enough that he would bring you into his image. In fact, the most loving thing that Jesus can do for you is to work as a light in your life, casting out your darkness and causing you to shine like him, that your love for him would be perfected even as his perfect love for you is displayed. Why can I say I love God? Because he is perfecting my love for him through the work of the Spirit. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to go without? Are you willing to make sacrifices and discipline yourself in order to better keep God's commands, knowing they are good for you and that they bring you into deeper fellowship with God? My friends, this doesn't come from you. This is a work of the Spirit. And if that is taking place in you, you can confidently say that you love God, but but you can't boast in your own ability. Because it is the work of Christ in your life. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is God's choosing that you would be made like His Son. But nevertheless, you can be assured that you know God because God knows you. Let's move on and finish up with verse 6. Verse 6 says this, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And I want to focus, focus in on that word abide. Because that word abide means to stay or to dwell or to continue in or to live there. To abide with God means to never leave his side. It means to continue in the faith we profess to have and and to consider ourselves undone apart from God, apart from Jesus. This word abide is an active word. We cannot casually abide in Christ, but we actively partake in living for Him. 
If we claim to be in union with Him, then progressively as we walk with Him and abide in Him, our lives should bear the fruit of that union. We should find ourselves doing what God does and progressively being more like God, specifically more like Christ. And we find ourselves moving from what we would naturally be selfish and and broken and self-centered and unconcerned for others, unholy and unrighteous. And we find ourselves by the supernatural power of God's Spirit becoming more and more like Jesus. And I wish I could tell you everything there is to being like Jesus. But Jesus was the most dynamic and wonderful and vigorous human being to ever walk the face of the earth. And and I don't think I've even scratched the surface of what it means to be like him. But one piece of advice that I could give you or one way that I could say you can learn to become like Jesus is to do as Paul said when he said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And you can do the same with your brothers and sisters in Christ that are around you. And so often, I look at our small congregation and I think, Jesus, make me a willing servant like Jake. Or or make me a loving person like Justin. Make me a faithful servant like Amanda. Oh, Lord, please make me gracious like Darlene. Make me wise like Larry. Lord, Lord, make me a joyful person like Nikki. Make me merciful like my wife, Chelsea. Lord, give me the transparency of Brandon and give me the kindness of Sarah. Lord, Lord, give me a heart like Dan for your people. But even in doing this, even as you look to your brothers and sisters and and imitate them as they imitate Christ, still I can tell you where you can find better answers. Those answers are in the Bible. In In the Old Testament, in the Law and Prophets of the Bible, Jesus is foreshadowed. These these Old Testament books, they tell us what he was coming to do and what he was going to be like. They reveal to us the heart of an anticipated Savior. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. The dynamic nature of this glorious Savior is shown to us. We see Him healing the sick and and giving sight to the blind, raising up the lame, giving the mute back their speech. And in these miraculous ways, we see Jesus' heart for a broken world. We see him dying on the cross for a broken world. We see him risen from the dead for a broken world. And in the epistles or the letters written about him, we see Jesus explained in in practical ways in which we can walk and be like him. We can come to the Bible and see him and we can learn how to walk as he walked. But I caution you as we close to never believe that you will walk perfectly like Jesus this side of life. Do not set yourself up for such failure. My friends, sinless perfection does not exist this side of life. 
Instead, as you learn to walk like Jesus and be like Jesus, look to him as your strength, as you abide in deeper depths of coming to know him. And that as you come to know him, you would come to love him more. And as you come to love him more, you would come to obey him more. Let love for God be the catalyst for your obedience. Let love for God be the catalyst for your sanctification or your ongoing Christ-likeness. My friends, love. Love alone is the factor of our litmus test. It is love for God that changes everything. It is love for God that changes keeping His commands into a rote and droll, obligatory, life-sucking thing to a life-giving experience that brings us into the presence of God and helps us to know Him. My friends, as you abide in Him, I pray that Christ would cause your love for Him to increase that you would know him more and that you would see your own character reflect the character of Jesus. Keep going. Don't give up. Look to Christ.